Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're here to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Hello. And we're recording. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're back on our bullshit. We, we are. <laughs> That's an amusing phrase. I don't know if I've heard that one I absolutely, yeah, I love it. I love it. I say it all the time. Well, it's my favorite. I want to say it all the time, too. I wish I were that cool. Well, you can start. Okay, we're back on our bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that felt good. Did you miss us, audience? I missed us. I did, too. I miss you all the time. I miss you constantly, too. Aw. Aw. If only we had morphs and could fly to each other. I know! Oh my god, I would do that all the time. Me too. What morph would you use? To fly? Yeah. Hmm. Well, hmm. I don't know, because, like, for long distance flying, the first thing that comes to mind is albatross, but I feel like- Me too! Ah! But I feel like we'd need to be over the ocean to really take advantage of that. Oh, that's they, probably true. Because they just fly over the ocean for months at a time. I don't know if it would work as well on land. Mm, probably not, because they use the waves to, like... You, you've seen those diagrams, right? Where, like, there's the wave coming up, and they use the current coming off the top of the wave to, like, bump them up and up and up and, and gain altitude, and then they just, like, spiral back down. Yeah. Yeah. It's so nuts. It's like a duck is what we're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We'll just, like land on someone's roof if we need to rest i feel like i see a lot of ducks and geese on people's roofs and i'm like what are you doing up there buddy yeah it's a ducks just go everywhere without suspicion (laughs) 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 like people escort them through school buildings like a duck now that i'm thinking about it is like one of the greatest stealth morphs for when you need like good vision quick escape plan maneuverability like ducks are not a bad choice that's true i forgot that they have their own crossing signs yeah oh just like yeah you know who else has crossing signs deer Oh. oh, I mean, actually, I don't know if that's true. I've seen elk and I've seen deer. I don't know if I've seen moose, but I feel like I have. Maybe I made that up. No, I think I, I think I've seen that before. In the wilds of Canada. Yeah. Hmm. There's moose crossing for sure. Bears have it too. Oh, bear crossing. I like that. <laughs> I want to make jokes about how they barely made it. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Unbearable joke. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, we've started. Oh, this is bad. No, let's let's quit while we're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, damn it. Bear down. <laughs> <laughs>
God. Uh, I told you we're back on our bullshit. We are back on our bullshit. And um, it's really bullshitty. Yeah. Right from the get-go. Oh, man. Oh, God. Well, we decided um, last time that we were going to do something a little different with our uh, our morphs, our battle morph lineup that we promised that we would uh, initiate every episode with. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and that was we were going to make our lineup um, pertain to the episode before it. So what our lineup would be for, <laughs> for uh, what was it, Casey, the... Um, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, God. <laughs> our Earth, Wind, and Fire battle morphs, and um, using the episode before it to decide what our best lineup would be. So, I'll let you go first because this was your genius idea. Was it? I. It was. I swear it was. I, I gotta, swear you told it to me. I gotta be five thousand percent honest with you, though. I don't remember. <laughs> 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 oh. I swear you told me. I, I, I did not make this up on my own. I could I could have. Um, oh shit. I need I need an example to go off of though. Oh, okay. So last book we read was Marcos. Yeah. So we need um just a good general flying one, I think, to get to the quarry, a good battle morph for fighting on a spaceship. And mm. there wasn't really any sea ones there, so we could probably ignore that. Well, yeah. birds of prey are always good. Oh, I was going to go with Sandhill Crane because they're, like, in a quarry that's, like, it, you could blend in. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, for fighting in a spaceship, like, the elephant was really not helpful. No, because she was too at big. All. Yeah. I'd be a dingo. A dingo? A eat dingo. I would eat all of the all babies. Of the babies. <laughs> God. Oh. Let's just bring back the kangaroo with the machine guns. Oh, yes. Kangaroos with guns. That's, I take that back. That's the ultimate fighting machine. The ultimate fighting machine. Un- Ooh, cassowaries with guns. Cassowaries? How would they hold the guns? I don't know. <laughs> They're tiny, tiny wings. Oh, a Hawatson with a gun because they have the little claws on the end of their wings. Although that's not oh. very intimidating. Oh, my God. I mean, Tobias shot a gun with his feet, so. It's... Yeah, so, like, it makes sense because Watsons actually have, like, their little, their little wingtip fingers for climbing. That's, but, sorry, that's a type of bird. And it's, like, the only bird that has teeth because it eats plant matter. And they live in the canopy of trees, so the babies have claws on their fingers for climbing. So that would be helpful to shoot guns with. They're basically dinosaurs. They're basically dinosaurs. They do, the babies just look like dinosaurs. I mean, so do heron babies, but, like, Hawatsin babies actually have the front claws, too. They're awesome. So, yeah, a Hawatsin with a gun. I have a general Battlemorph question, though. Ooh, okay. Like, do you think that, so, you know, you know about tardigrades, right? Mm-hmm. How, like, so apparently they're, like, everywhere because they're, like, microscopic, right? Yeah. Do you think they could obtain a tardigrade morph? <laughs> like, do you have to, like, see and knowingly be touching the animal to do it? Or, or like, how would that work? Uh, well, there doesn't... Knowing um, what happens going forward in the series, that there's not necessarily a size limit on how small they can go. Right. 
So maybe, but would you, like, what would you, that's like it, how hard would you have to concentrate? Would you have to know what it looks like exactly? I mean, I guess you could put one under a microscope, but. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, I don't see, like, the, the function of turning into a tardigrade. I mean, <laughs> unless you were trying to withstand an apocalypse, because then you could do pretty well. But you could also turn into a cockroach and withstand the apocalypse, and you'd probably be fine. Yeah, that's true. But I just, I like tardigrades, and I wanted to throw that question out into the ring. What like, if you turned into a tardigrade and you just could not control its instincts at all? I don't know. What kind of instincts would a tardigrade have? Did we know about tardigrades when these book, books were written? I... I don't know. When were tardigrades discovered? I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. We should look this up or or. Something. I'm looking that up right now. Oh, man. I need to know about when tardigrades were discovered now. Yeah, it was probably a long time ago. Maybe they just... I feel like they weren't cool until a few years ago. Oh, that's probably very true. 1773. 1773? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It's like Hamilton era. So they grow to be about a millimeter. They can easily be seen with a microscope. I, you probably could. A millimeter? That big? I thought they were itty bitty little bears. Yeah. This is a millimeter though. And this is like a college website, so I'm willing to believe it. (laughs) (laughs) College kids always know what they're talking about. Yeah, I wish that were true. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it was Illinois Wesleyan's University website. I mean, it could be useful for infiltration. Then again, how would you see or sense anything? I, I don't know. I just know you could probably live in lava and be okay. Or freezing cold temperatures. Like I said, I, I the only functional oh. purpose I could see is withstanding an apocalypse. But you know who else can live in lava now that they just discovered? What? Sharks. What? They found sharks in an active volcano. What the fuck? I know, right? It's badass. I'll have to look up that article. It's really awesome. Damn. I know! Sharks in lava. I think. Just when he thought they couldn't get scarier. I think I liked the (laughs) article you posted on our uh, Facebook page. I think we should post more animal factual articles on our social medias. Oh, I can listeners. do that. Yeah. Because, I mean, we talk a lot about animal facts on this show. We, we do. We really do. And for anyone that um, wants to know which one we're referencing here, it was the uh, article about sharks that eat vegetation. And um, the whole thing of the article was how when they were younger, they can eat more vegetation. And as they get older, they start to eat more of a meat-based diet. But they were surprised by how much of the vegetation they can actually digest. It was something around like 56%, something like that. So, like, they can actually live on that when they're younger, um, which was really cool because now there's veggie-eating sharks. Eat your veggies, kids! (laughs) So you can grow big and strong like a shark. (laughs) (laughs) They should be teaching that shit in school. Yeah. (laughs) Sharks eat veggies, you should too. I'd, you know what, if a poster said that, I would probably eat more vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a cool article, though, so that's why I posted it, with another joke that Casey doesn't know yet. I don't. 
but you'll you'll one day it'll happen you'll read that joke and you'll be like ah yes sharks (laughs) i mean the, the quote itself has nothing to do with sharks but you know we'll make it work We'll make it work. We'll make it work. <laughs> well, speaking of eating your veggies, should we get into our book? We that should. Opens with Jake and Tom eating breakfast. Adventures with Jake and Tom. Adventures with Jake and Tom. Oh, I have I have another tangent to go off on. Ooh, briefly. okay. It has to do with the books, but not like directly with the story. Um, All right. Do you know anything about the cover art for Animorphs? Like. Uh, very little okay so i'm like these kids look vaguely real like real human children that they photographed and to morph into animals like what what's the story behind these children models unless they're just illustrations in which case they're really good um what's up with that i think they're actually children that they start with like actual models that they start with yeah yeah the the one thing thing that i know about the covers is um one time i was talking to uh our friend from college josh and we got into an argument about how i was like man i really wish they had of picked like one kid to photograph for each one of them and like kind of stuck with it so we'd have a better idea of what they looked like in our heads and he argued a very good point which kind of changed my view on it which was that he liked that they picked different kids for the covers like with every single um book like you know jake is multiple different people it's not the same person because it really drove home the point that it could be anyone and you don't know and also um he particularly liked it because it meant that he could imagine himself in the role of who he was reading or whoever his favorite animorph was because you don't know exactly what they look like you're just given very generic descriptions oh yeah <laughs> I thought it was a great point and that was really like that was the most into the covers I got and other than just kind of like flipping through and looking at who the artist was when I start reading them I I don't really give a much thought okay anyway all right Jake Jake yes Jake the book of Jake we're back to our first uh our first second go around (laughs) our first repeat there we go that's what I'm looking for so we we haven't visited with Jake since the invasion book one since the beginning of all this nonsense yeah um and it's fun to see already how far he's come like he's really I have a question for you here in my notes although it wasn't until another scene later but I'll just ask it to you now because we're here do you already get the feeling that Jake has changed a lot since book one uh I yeah I have um He's, like, I know he's supposed to be the leader um, of their little posse, but he never, I don't know, I still get the very much a sense that he's still also a kid, and, like, with the other characters' books, I feel like he acts much more like a leader, because maybe that's how they see him, but in his own book, he's just much more fleshed out to me. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's really hard for me to, I won't say it's hard for me to like Jake in other characters' books, but I always like him a lot more when it's in his book. And I don't know if I feel that way about other characters, but 
in regards to your initial question, yeah, I, I do feel like he's changed a lot. He seems much more, like, prepared, I guess. Like, he, he's got mm-hmm. a much, like, more objective scope. He's not as scared anymore, at least. Like, in the first book, he was just like, oh, oh my god, I'm so scared, I want to cry, I want to scream. But in this book, he kind of seems like, okay, this is our plan, this is what we're doing. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I agree I'm, with ra- that. I'm rambling at this point. I'm so sorry. No, no, not at all. I It total, totally makes sense. And um, I liked your point, too, about how in the other characters' books, he's really just looked up as the leader, and he doesn't have anything to flesh him out. Because I think that really is how the other characters view him, is they're like... They need somebody to make those decisions for them, so they don't want to look at him as a fallible person. Mm-hmm. And so in his book, we see him as a fallible person because he knows that he is and he doesn't know that he's right. But nobody else is willing to view him that way because if they do, then it this is all going to fall apart faster. Mm-hmm. So I like that point. That's a good point. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, I'll start going through the book then. (laughs) On that note, uh, Jake and Tom are eating breakfast together. And um, in a very, you know, lighthearted, fun sort of mood, Tom's like, we're going to we're going to a sharing meeting. We'll come with us. It'll be awesome. We're cleaning up a beach. We're doing good for the community. We definitely do not have flying saucers. so that's, I really liked that we opened with that. And this scene does become important later in the book. So it's uh, kind of a an important thing to pay attention to. And just the fact that they have that back and forth banter and Jake's kind of in his own head and not paying attention. Because later we revisit this from a different viewpoint. Okay. <laughs> um, so he's... They're, they're worrying a lot about security more and more in these books, which I keep pointing out every time they do something major, like, security-wise. I'm like, yes, thank you for thinking of this. Usually it's in, to Marco, like, thank you, Marco. But um, they're already, like, you know, getting getting more aware of uh, just how dire of a situation they're in and how easily they can get caught. And so um, it starts out with Jake kind of walking around his house, waiting till Tom left, waiting till his parents are out, checking every single room, which is like, I, he would, when he morphed Homer, everybody was home and he didn't even think of this. And now here he is worrying about security. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's testing out a morph, which is yeah. like, yay. <laughs> oh my God. I was so relieved. I'm right? just like, you smart boy. Thank you for having some common right? sense to test out a morph. And I, I want to come back to that point later when, when they're all in the barn, but oh my god. Oh, is this before they take the the bus, in quotation yes, marks? Yes, yes. Okay, good, thank you. I wrote that too. <laughs> um, without skipping ahead. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, um, when, so Jake's in his house, and he, after everybody leaves, he has a cockroach that he caught earlier, presumably, and he acquires a cockroach, and I really liked, uh, he starts morphing into the cockroach, and I really liked this descriptor that K.A. Applegate used, which was a bag of loose guts. Uh-huh. Like, I just, I really liked that line. I, <laughs> ah, I just got really intense about it. I was like, that is such a simple yet great descriptor of what I feel like a cockroach would be, because I have an exoskeleton, and they're right. just, like, mush inside. So, I don't know. That's see that was kind of I got really excited about when she was describing ants like all of a sudden your skin like burned and crisped up mm-hmm. and I was like oh yeah that's like I really like that like 
feel of writing. But yeah, I, it's bag of guts too is really. I appreciated that as well. <laughs> also, um, Jake uses a line like cockroaches are not my favorite animal, and I was just like, "Honey, cockroaches are no one's favorite animal." <laughs> <laughs> oh, you poor thing. <laughs> <laughs> Although I feel like now we're going to get, like, hate mail or something. Like, cockroaches are my favorite animal. How dare you? That being said, um, I've played with some African hissing cockroaches before, and those guys are pretty awesome. Like, they're not my favorite by any stretch of the imagination, but they are very cool. Yeah. I I guess cockroaches must be someone's favorite animal. And if it's yours, listener, good for you. I respect that. Good. If it's your favorite animal, send us an email yeah. at anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com and tell us exactly why a cockroach is your favorite animal, because I truly am interested in knowing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, I like some weird-ass animal. Like, I love turkey vultures, and they, like, vomit roadkill on you as, like, a means of self-defense. So, I mean, I'm into some weird stuff, but, like, tell me why you like cockroaches. Yeah, we want to know. We want to know. <laughs> Send us an email. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, so Jake uh, tests out this cockroach morph, which, um, other than morphing in front of the, the mirror, which freaks him out, is it's not so bad. And he's like, oh, these instincts are pretty easy to control. And then someone turns on the lights in his room, and the roach brain just lights up and goes crazy. And he starts running across his bedroom floor and uh, manages to squeeze into a crack in the wall. So he he's in there and he starts to get the hang of things like sensing vibrations and and uh, noises and like figuring out where things are. And he realizes that uh, as he's traveling through the wall, he's come out behind the refrigerator and he's still pretty confident things are going well until he gets stuck in a roach motel. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then they cut to the barn (laughs) where he is regaling the story to the others. Yes, and they're pretty much uh, either mocking him, Marco, or uh, going off on him for doing something stupid and trying a morph where he could have gotten into trouble and nobody else was there. Cassie. Okay. (laughs) Let me. Why is she mad about that when she morphed into a squirrel in her book for seemingly no reason? Like, Jake tells her, I thought it would be good to try out this morph before we all, like, try to do it. Uh And it's like, not only did you try out a squirrel morph in a room with a bunch of other predators, and you knew it was a prey animal and that it was going to freak out, you did Uh it without anyone being there, you did it knowing that your, like, your dad was home, and... And she did it to catch a predator. Yeah! And, (laughs) And then... And then you went into the gardens and you swam with dolphins. Like, why are you mad at Jake? I, just, yeah. like, I was so outraged. I'm like, don't... <sighs> Whatever. And first, what I'm going to do is completely jump on board with you because that's how I truly feel. Because it's like, Cassie, you've done so much more... So many bad decisions on your part. Like, the squirrel, of course, and morphing the squirrel and, and trying to catch a predator as a prey animal by yourself and then also almost getting your hawk cohort to eat you as well and the dolphin thing yeah completely stupid um and the other thing was jake was doing this inside his own home in a safe space where theoretically there's not really any predators that are going to come after him Mm -hmm. like the roach motel like kind of was you know 
yeah, that, that's a bad move, but he, he really didn't know it was there and he had no way of knowing. So, um, and also it's not a predator, it's like a passive thing that you can get out of after thinking about it for a minute. So, one, jumping on board with you with, I don't know why Cassie's so mad because that's insane, but to flip-flop and kind of defend Cassie, I think it's probably because she could sense what was coming next or sense Jake kind of pulling away because the next part of this is um, Jake trying to convince the rest of the team that he should go on this mission alone. Or, like, very soon after this. Not the next thing. But soon after this, Jake's trying to convince them that he can go on this mission alone. Um, and Cassie, I think, maybe could sense that sort of, you know, issue going on inside of him. And how he, he was thinking about pulling away from the team and doing this solo. Yeah. and Maybe. I, I guess, so the other part that made me think and and I think this is kind of a disadvantage of doing the books in this format like per character and kind of having to wait like five or six books before reaching the character again uh-huh. is that I'm like I, I, I just feel like it was so abrupt that Cassie went from doing all this like crazy shit in her book and then is now suddenly like super cautious about everything it's like okay yeah. what happened in that span of time we don't really know. I mean, apart from, like, them getting captured and taken onto a spaceship in the last book, but, like, because we haven't seen her perspective between those two, it just felt really abrupt to me that she was suddenly, like, on Jake about... I don't know. Maybe I'm just, like... No, and, like, with the Marco book in between, it... That's, um... That is kind of abrupt, because those are very... That's kind of like a really sort of up and down character arc. Like, do you think maybe the book should have been done in a different order character-wise to create a better ebb and flow? No, I mean, not necessarily. I just... I don't know. Well, and like, in the Marco book, you know, Marco was noticing that, you know, in what they thought were their final moments were uh, Cassie and Jake kind of exchanging a quiet... You know, moment together so maybe in that moment Cassie was like oh my gosh like I've I, I care about you so much and I don't want anything to happen to you and if we happen to make it through this you know I'm gonna be more careful from now on and I'm gonna you know I want you to be more careful from now on so like that's I'm probably just making that up in my head but I don't <laughs> no, know I, I just I don't so. understand <laughs> I'm trying to rationalize it because it just yeah, seemed really weird too. that she was so mad at Jake. Like, I know they love each other and they're, you know, they care deeply for each other, but uh, I don't know. I don't Actually, know. We can move on. No, that's a great point. Uh, we can. Um, I'll just say one more thing before we do, though. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually a great point, because in book one, this, from Jake's perspective, we didn't know that Cassie really liked Jake. We knew that Jake was kind of crushing on Cassie, but we didn't see vice versa. So their relationship has moved forward through these books, this is just the first time we're seeing their relationship at this stage from Jake's perspective. Yeah. So it seems out of the blue to us, but to him, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyways, we'll, we'll move on. Sorry. <laughs> so no, don't, don't be that. That was, that was great. <laughs> um, so uh, we find out Jake got out from behind the refrigerator by uh, demorphing and slowly pushing it away. And his mom walked in on him and asked him what he was doing behind the fridge with the Roach Motel stuck to his head, which I thought was really funny. It was funny. Like, God, these kids have so many close calls. Ugh. They they do. 
Uh-huh. They do. But uh, then again, in this book, we start seeing them kind of working that out with Axe, which is really exciting. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then um, after Marco tells that story, Marco asks him, like, so what's up with the roach exactly? Like, so why were you doing this roach thing? And Jake launches into this really awesome, like, so I was spying on my brother Tom. Turns out he's kind of just below Chapman in terms of importance in the Yerk order. And whenever he was making secret phone calls, I, I traced them back to where they were going. And they were calling five different doctors at the Berman Clinic. Um, so then they, they realize pretty quickly they're going to use this clinic to make controllers of everybody that checks into this hospital. That's so, fucking smart on the Yerk's right? behalf. Like, that's a good move. And what an awesome move on Jake's behalf, too, like, figuring this all out. Mm-hmm. So I was I was impressed by all of that. And, yeah, a really smart move on the Yerk's part. Like, oh, man. What a... There's no better place than a hospital to infest people, I think. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> they're, they're, they realize that that's happening, and we cut back to Jake at home. Um where he's with Tom again. And I think a lot of this early setup is just to show us the interactions between Jake and Tom and how they're kind of getting weird for Jake because Jake knows exactly what Tom is and Tom, of course, could never imagine what position Jake is in. Right. So um, Tom gets home. There's kind of a funny discussion between Tom and his parents where they're, like, you know, making fun of each other, having, like, normal family banter. Tom pets Homer and Jake just, like, gets enraged <laughs> and he he starts antagonizing tom and and tom's like you know it, it's friendly stuff but it's just like said with this bite behind it where mm-hmm. tom's picking up on the fact that jake's like enraged with him so it's can you imagine being jake having to live with your brother as a controller and like oh, just imagine that situation for a second He's, oh my god. Crazy. Crazy. So, um, after they have this weird escalation thing at dinner, even uh, Jake's parents can tell that things are a little odd. So they start trying to have, like, small talk. And Jake just is like, can I be excused? And they're like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, So Tom kind of follows them upstairs and tries to make another pitch about the sharing. Like, we've been growing apart lately. Maybe you should join the sharing so we can... (laughs) So we can, like you know, hang out more or whatever. And um, Jake's like, yeah, no, I don't think so. And Tom, part of what he says is, "You do you want to be part of something bigger? Do you want to be one little nothing kid? And Jake goes, I think I'd rather be one nothing little kid. Mm-hmm. And um, I, before even remembering what was said at the end of this book, I caught this as a total Lord of the Rings reference. Like, this is a total, he's Frodo, and he's like, it's one little hobbit against the rest of Middle Earth kind of reference. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that. It was kind of his moment of like, I'll take the ring to Mordor. Um, and then we see Tom's mask kind of slip for a second. And he looks at him with this disdain of like, oh, you're just a little nobody, whatever. And then he goes, all right. And then like shrugs and leaves. And like so. something that that has kept being brought up um, up until this point was Jake you know, realizing that his brother's a controller and that his brother is kind of moving up the ranks, he's kind of bringing up the whole, like, if it's a situation of, you know, if I have to make a choice between my brother and 
saving the world and destroying the Yurks, like, what am I going to choose? Like, this keeps being brought up, and at this point, I'm just, like, feeling a sense of doom, like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? Yeah, well, that's present through the whole series, and in book one, it's amazing that we've come this far, because book one, remember, he was willing to give up Cassie to the Yurks to save his brother, and now he's like, what, I'm going to have to destroy him? Like, can I do it? Like, it's, he's come far. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I that's... I, yeah, I hate every moment of this. They're 12! They're, yeah, well, Tom's older. I don't know how old Tom is, but he's in, what, high school? Probably. Yeah. Well, they move on almost immediately. <laughs> and so shall we. Uh, so Marco is immediately... Like, they move on to the kids all gonna practice morph, and Marco is in disbelief that they're actually gonna practice. He's like, what? <laughs> Usually it's just a disaster, and we deal with it. <laughs> well said, Marco. Thank yeah, you for thanks. calling that shit out, because I've been saying that from the beginning. <laughs> right? I I love that Marco's so willing to call them on their bullshit. I know. <laughs> also, Marco so, got a new apartment, because his dad oh, yeah. went back to work. And, he and did. He kept his promise. Place. Yeah. He did, that was yeah. Nice. That's it is nice. Continuity. I love this part. Continuity. And it's nice that it was like it just happened like quickly enough. Like it wasn't like, oh, we have to wait until, you know, Marco's next book to to discuss how it, like things have gotten better. It's like right away you see these little snippets of like we know Marco's dad said he was getting a job and now he's in a new place and Yeah. It's nice. nice. Yeah. So that happens. <laughs> and they're practicing being able to understand human speech in Marco's new apartment, which is nice. Because Marco wouldn't invite them over to his old apartment because he was embarrassed. Right. Yay! Um, and then there's that really funny scene where um, Marco tells Jake to say, I'm a huge dork. And then Jake goes, you're a huge dork. And Marco's like, shut up. I, <laughs> I, I, I just know you. I know what you said. I couldn't understand you in this roach body, but I know what you said. <laughs> So that cracked me up. I love that they were learning to translate vibrations into human speech. Like, damn. I'm so proud of them. I know. That's such a good idea. It is. It's a fantastic idea. Oh, I love that. I just love this whole part. Like, they're growing up so fast. I know. (laughs) Which is really sad. But at this point, it's really exciting. And it's not like... Like, later, I feel like we're going to look back on this and just be like, oh, man, they had to grow up really fast. That's really hard. That's really difficult. But right now, we're just like, yes, they're getting it. They're getting it quickly. Like, these kids are really smart and awesome and such a great team. And, like, Jake's books really highlight for me just how good of a team they are. Mm-hmm. So. Also, yeah. there's a line in the, the scene that I really liked um, where Jake's talking about, like, his friends just morphed into cockroaches on the floor and tobias is sitting in the window outside and and the weirdest thing was that it didn't seem weird anymore and i'm just Uh like oh my god it's so profound it is Uh, i had an emotion (laughs) i had single emotion (laughs) (laughs) oh man well the that's yeah i mean i'm proud of them i'm proud of our kids they're good kids they're good kids they're good dogs, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, poor Jake, while this is going on, um, he mentions that he's going to go in alone again. 
and uh, Rachel has a moment of we're the five musketeers. Well, the six musketeers now, which is a- another moment where I had an emotion because, you know, we're bringing Axe back into the fold. He really is like they're trying to make him part of the team right away. Um, and then uh, Cassie's the one that pinpoints why Jake is saying he wants to go in alone. And it's the whole thing you were talking about earlier of he's really afraid of whether or not he's going to have to kill Tom or whether Tom's going to kill one of his friends. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what he wants to do, and Jake kind of has to realize that he might have to face Tom, and then he starts getting into the whole, if we face Tom and we win, Visor 3 might kill him. If we face Tom and we lose, Tom might kill one of you, or I might kill Tom. Like, there's just basically a no-win scenario here. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, Cassie's... Sac- it's a sacrifice one to save many situation. Yeah, yeah. And even, you know, even if it's sacrificing everybody to save one person, it's still not a winning situation for Tom because he's still going to be in trouble no matter what. Right. So, yeah. But um, Cassie suggests they just don't do the mission. And uh, Jake is like, I can't skip this for selfish reasons. That's that's crazy. So they don't. And then Marco comes in and Marco, who Jake calls out as being the one who can uniquely understand the situation, says... This is just a scouting mission. We don't have to do anything. Let's just scope it out. And uh, that's that's their wheelhouse. That's what they've been doing for the past several books. So Jake agrees, but he doesn't feel good about it. Right. Yeah. Aww. So then we cut to the kids walking to the sharing and talking about taping their TV shows and how Rachel forgot to tape a movie. And this was one moment where I we were just talking a, a book or two ago about how we didn't think Rachel and Cassie really showed a lot of moments of friendship. But this is where Rachel's like, ah, crap, I forgot to tape that show. And Cassie's like, I got you. I'm taping the show. Aww. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just a little snippet thrown in, but I liked it. At this um, point in the books, I'm... I live for the, like, the casual moments that they have of just, like, being kids and having their little kid problems. Like, yeah. Like, there's so much, like dense intense shit that's happening so whenever they have a little like conversation like that i'm just like oh no i love them i know and it it just makes everything so much harder because it's like there's so many books you read where like the main protagonist you don't ever see them as like a human because it's like oh they're amazing and they're powerful and they know what they're doing and like these are these books it's like yeah they're they're kids and they're normal and that like it's they try to maintain that in between saving the world, but they're normal. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I like it. Yeah. I like it so much. And then another um, awesome moment that I, I really love as well is when uh, whenever they mess with Axe. So when he's like, <laughs> how do you walk on these two legs? This is absurd. And Marco's like, oh, Axe, you're right. Whoa, whoa, Here I'm about to fall. And then Axe is like, ha, told you. And he's like totally vindicated. It's like, no, no, Axe, he's messing with you. <laughs> oh, my God, I love it. I love it so much. I like Axe's, the interactions with Axe are just amazing constantly. <laughs> I, I love him so much. Oh. Well, all of this is shattered pretty quickly because they make it to the nondescript building that is the sharing. And I wrote down, the sharing, we don't believe in flying saucers. <laughs> then I corrected it to building a better life. That's their tagline, the sharing, building a better life. Yeah, I, I wrote the sign should have said, the sharing, no flying saucers here. <laughs> so I'm glad we were on same the same like, link, link. Yep. 
Same way, Blake. Yeah. I like it. I'm I'm glad we are too. And that's officially what their tagline is going to be from now on in our podcast is Perfect. something about flying saucers. Yep. <laughs> so also, they sneak. Oh, yes. I was, uh, I was just going to go. Also, they have a bouncer at the door, which is pretty intense. Oh, yeah. That's pretty crazy. Like a really weird bouncer, too. And they're like, oh, we expected that because we scouted it out earlier. And I was like, another genius move. Yeah. So. And... and- they continue to retcon that Tobias now can't see anything in the dark. <laughs> yes. Oh, even better. Which, like, even when Tobias flies into the building and he, like, flies into a pillar and, and they're like, oh, wow, you're supposed to be the lookout. It's, like, that's reassuring. Yeah, and he starts griping about how he should have gotten stuck as an owl. Yeah. And I'm Which... just like, I will eventually stop grumbling about this. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they really, they are starting to correct it, so yeah. I... You know, I I think I said to you earlier that I, I was pretty sure they, like, they corrected that more and yeah. more as the books go on. So we're yeah. starting to see that. Yeah. I actually think I made a note about how you would be really happy about that in my notes. <laughs> I wonder yeah, if they'll so ever the... get to the point where Tobias is like, why do we go on so many fucking night missions? Like, I can't do anything for you guys. I know. <laughs> it's like, why can't we just do weekend and daytime missions? Yeah. Because they have school. They have school and responsibilities and chores, and Cassie has to do all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. So where where they are, while this is all going down, is an adjacent building that used to be a restaurant, and that's where they're um, flying into to morph cockroach to sneak across the street to, to break into the sharing. And there's more good banter between Marco and Tobias about, like, you know, oh, are you going to be able to see a rat if a rat tries to eat us? And, and Tobias is like, I'm the... The king rat catcher, day or night, it doesn't matter. And um, Jake just makes this one little mental note about, like, Tobias is handling this better. And it's, like, another one of those moments where it's, like, Jake is being a leader. He's just taking that note. He's not doing anything with the information right now. He's just taking note. Yep. And we're moving on. (laughs) So that's, it's good. That's a very good thing because the last time we checked in with Tobias, things weren't so good. Yeah. Book three, you're still killing me, deep down. Yep, agreed. Yep. So, um, they're all getting morphed in here and, and having their banter, and then Cassie kills the mood by reminding everybody that this is a stealth mission, so no morphing elephant and stomping the place to the ground, said staring directly at Rachel. <laughs> this is another moment I wrote down that I felt was out of character for Cassie. Like... Yeah. Why is she so freaking, like, responsible all of a sudden? Like, not that she wasn't before, but, like, she's being more proactive than usual. I don't, like, I can't explain it, but. It's like when she told Marco that he should just get over the death of his mom. Hmm. Like, I don't know. She has, like, these moments, and I don't. This is a note to me going forward to pay attention in the books as to whether or not she has these moments. Because I, like, I remember these early on where she has these breakout, like, oh, that's not part of her character. Like, this is a really weird comment. And then as the books go on, I think she settles more into, like, the pacifist role constantly. Like, she doesn't often have these, like, don't do this. Don't do that. How dare you? Like, get over it. Like, she doesn't have those weird things. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I just, yeah. I, I don't remember that much early, early on in the books of her having those moments either. 
And I'm like, again, is this just, like, from Jake's point of view? Or... I don't know. I just, I don't feel that the other characters are doing that as much. Like, I, I'm never pulled out of any of the other characters the way I'm pulled out of Cassie's character in this book. I don't know. Yeah. And I wonder if it's maybe her just, like, trying to find her role with Jake. Because he is the leader, but she's kind of his girlfriend. And so maybe it's her trying to, like, figure out that role of, like, I want to be protective of him because I care about him. And we're kind of something more than just, you know, good friends like everybody else. So, like, what is my, like, what are my boundaries here? And she hasn't quite gotten it yet. And meanwhile, Jake's like, what are my boundaries as the leader? Because he's, as much as we're like, oh, he's come so far, he's so much better... He's not set in any way. We're only in book six. Like, mm-hmm. this nothing's in, in concrete right now. But, yeah, and, and I agree that, Ka- like, I would believe that Cassie is now like, okay, Jake and I are maybe something more now, and that would change her personality and the way that she would go into these missions. But, like, spoiling a little bit, they never really addressed that in the rest of this book. And they hadn't yeah, really, not at and, all. And they don't address that in Marco's book, which was the the gateway between these two. So right. like, I can only surmise like what you said that Cassie's now the stakes are higher, and so she's acting differently accordingly. Yeah. So I just I, I wish that had been addressed a little bit more. Like maybe Jake had had a flashback to last book where. They had their quiet moments where she said, Jake, I love you. And he said, I love you too. And maybe they had a scene together in between this time where they talked about, I don't know, like just something, tie it, tie it back. Yeah. And, or even during the Marco book, like a conversation that Jake and Marco had about Cassie that Mm -hmm. shed some light on it or going forward in the next Rachel book, a conversation that Cassie and Rachel had about it. But of course, because it's a Rachel book, we know it's going to be more about like, you know, stomp and shit. Gymnastics. <laughs> Gymnastics and stomp and shit. Fluffer McKittens. <laughs> Fluffer McNutters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I I wish the same thing. Like, I wish there was more to it. That being said, it's not... We're still getting something, and all we're seeing are these little snippets of Cassie through Jake Jake's eyes, and Cassie and Jake through Marco's eyes, and mm-hmm. Cassie the... You know, like, so we are still getting a an idea here like we're still getting something from this it's just i wish it was more clear so it's like still fantastic writing and storytelling it's just i want more clarity (laughs) i want more yeah but it's it's still fun how much you can like pick up on yeah i don't know i like it i like it (laughs) anyway we diverged again i'm so sorry i'm just i'm trying to figure this out because i'm really interested in in this character relationship that's building Yeah, well, this is totally a character-driven series, so I don't think it's even... Like, yeah, we're not giving you the plot play-by-play right now, but this is still an important arc that's happening through this book. Mm -hmm. Or should be happening through this book, but kind of gets waylaid. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. I like these human moments, because it is, as I just said, like a character-driven storybook, so I think it's important to talk about how well they're written and like the moments where we kind of want a little more it's not because it's not written really well it's just because we humanize them so much that we were like wait a minute tell me your story a little bit 
Like, yeah, yeah, aliens invading the Earth. Yeah, we'll get to that. What's going on between Jake and Cassie? (laughs) Why did Jake go to Cassie's house for Thanksgiving? I need to know. Why? What happened? Where was Jake's family? (laughs) Oh, God. God. Okay, well, I'll I'll get back to the book. (laughs) So um, they crawl out of the basement and cross the alley. Tobias flies up to a telephone pole to watch them, and um, they make it into the sharing. They find a crack in the wall that they're able to crawl through, and uh, they, they... crawl in and um jake kind of goes let's not all go in there at once but it's a little too late they all just kind of fall into the room (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) but they then jake realizes well they're these are yurks and they're being more lax because they're within a community of other yurks where they're not going to be overheard so nobody really takes note of all these roaches suddenly bursting out of the wall dun 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 yeah and then marco (laughs) makes a joke about it being a pep rally and uh that's when tobias starts like reaching out to them and he's kind of at the limits of thought speak thank you axe for pointing that out very matter of fact um they're at the limits of thought speak but tobias is saying that a limo just pulled up there's a bunch of guys with guns getting out followed by an older man he goes this may sound weird but i get a really bad feeling from this old dude and uh that's when he bursts into the sharing they uh, very matter of fact they're like ah it's visitor three and visitor three's like ah yes let me monologue about my plan (laughs) okay hang on i have a question for you yes how do you picture visitor three's human morph uh so i because of the tv show a lot of the times i'll kind of default to that but when i'm just reading about it like in the book it's almost like a weird like gaunt um almost like a mix between the monopoly man and the vulture from spider-man okay (laughs) like i don't know if i'm describing that well at all but like he kind of like seems like a guy that might wear a monocle but has like a really fancy suit but is very like gaunt and bald and skinny and like claw-like hands like and you know he comes into the room and he just kind of is like ah visitor three Ah, this is my evil plan oh my god yeah what what did you picture (laughs) anderson cooper what i don't know but like not 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 straight on anderson cooper but just like like silver hair that's all i pictured like kind of an olderish guy silver hair okay so you didn't you didn't go bald at all you i I didn't but i can see it now that you brought it up but i (laughs) freaking anderson cooper i guess that's that's the closest person i can think of not that I think I, Anderson Cooper is bad, but I—I'm just—I don't know. That was like so far from what I pictured. I'm like speechless now. I don't know. There's no. I'm right trying answer. to picture Anderson Cooper as Visitor Three. I don't know. Not—he's also combined like not, with another actor in my brain for his face, but I can't think of who the actor is. Okay. I don't know. So what if we like? Oh, what about the guy from the OC, Ryan's dad? Or the, <laughs> who's, whoever is that? Sandy Cooper? Is that his yeah, name? Sandy? Peter Gallagher. Yeah. With his eyebrows. With his eyebrows. He has pretty evil eyebrows. Oh my gosh. He could be Visitor 3 with Peter those Gallagher. eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> if Peter Gallagher and Anderson Cooper had a baby. <laughs> then that would be Visitor 3. Oh my god. Except he has to be bald. Like, I, yeah. everything else about Visitor 3 can change for me, but there's something that I just, like, 
I don't know if they even describe him as bald in this book, but it has never occurred to me that he has ever been anything but bald. I can I can see that too. I don't bald Anderson Cooper slash. <laughs> <laughs> but like I just think whatever. Anyway, we can move on. It was just fun. can we? Yes. <laughs> okay. Audience, what do you think Visser Three looks like as a human? Write us an email and tell us. Yeah. At anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com. Do it. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> or facebook.com slash anonymous. Anonymous. And I know I stuttered. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Forgive me. Forgive me. I have stuttered. I, I get confused because our email is our our podcast name backwards because yeah. as we mentioned in an earlier episode, probably Yerks stole our our actual <laughs> name in Gmail. But on Facebook, it's Animorphs Anonymous. On Gmail, Anonymous Animorphs. Anyways, that, sorry. All the pertinent information is there, just in the wrong order. It's just in the wrong order, yeah. So I I started stuttering because in my head, I started getting my words jumbled up. Because I have to say one backwards and one normal. That's my my really, really long-winded explanation. Okay, back to the book. Back to the book. I'm monologuing almost as bad as Visitor 3 here, who... (laughs) burst into the sharing is like here's my evil plan we're taking over a hospital like no pretenses nothing at all they're like here's visitor three and he's like we're taking over a hospital and they're like genius and he's like we have enough nurses and doctors to take over the hospital they're like yes and then he's like but phase two phase two is where the real genius is we're going to infest the governor and then rachel's like oh no and everybody's like what rachel what's what's the big deal and she's like you idiots, the governor is running for president next year. Within a year, we could have a yerk in the White House. And then they're all like, no. And Axe is like, what does any of this mean? <laughs> is a governor then, like a prince? Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, oh, okay. They explain to Axe, yeah, it's game over, basically. And he's like, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> so um, that's, yeah. Visser 3 also brings up that they're focusing on controlling... Uh, police, broadcasters, writers, teachers, people in finance, and people in political power. And I'm like, that's fucking smart, because whoever controls the media controls all, you know? Exactly. And that's, there's another really good um, plot centered almost exclusively around that in an upcoming book that I'm really excited about. It actually might be Rachel's next book, the next book we read might be the one. I'll... No, wait, no, it's not. Never mind, sorry, I lied to you. But it's coming up, and it's really good. Well, so I wonder if it has to do with her dad, who is a weatherman? Um, not exclusively. Oh, okay. Because that would be but, a good, like, plant there. Yeah, but her dad does make an appearance in that. Okay. In that a pretty significant appearance in that book. As long as they're not filming another live commercial. There's, they're not <laughs> filming a live commercial at all. Because that's oh, not a thing. That's still not a thing. I've listened to that episode so many times now, and every time we bring up the live commercial, I'm like, yeah, that's still not a thing. I agree with us. I agree with, good point, us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right, so um, after the, this whole monologue is over and they have phase two, Jake's like, we've heard enough, we've got the gist of it, let's bail. And that's when things go wrong, which is really good as far as Animorphs' plans go, because normally they've gone to shit way before now. Mm-hmm. So now they realize that the uh, the roaches are running everywhere and some controller pipes up. Oh, no, no, no. They're everywhere on this planet. It's fine. And that's when Visitor 3 is like, 
do you not think that Andalites can morph something that small? Get them! And it's like, well, thank God somebody finally noticed. <laughs> oh, also? So, yeah. Um, so the guy's, the guy's like, cockroaches! They're probably fine. And then Mr. Three's like, I like how he prioritizes killing that person before killing the Andalites. Yeah, like he's just so like offended. He's just like someone kill this guy. Like how dare he? <laughs> yeah, I. That's pretty funny. I like that his priorities are, are like, they're so fucked up. <laughs> kill this person. He is a fool. Then kill the Andalite Bandalites. Andalite Bandalites. Andalite Bandalites. But they don't kill the Andalite Bandalites. No. They um, <laughs> they apparently almost get Axe, but Cassie immediately finds a crack. Axe quickly falls in after Cassie, after having a close call. Um, Rachel is on some guy's sock, which is such a Rachel move. Oh like, I'm on the guy. <laughs> so she gets taken outside and just drops off. Marco's hiding in a toilet. Because of course Jake's... Marco's in a toilet. Of course he because it wouldn't be funny if Marco didn't go in a toilet. <laughs> Um, and then Jake is under a newspaper, which is, like, the most conspicuous hiding place of all time. Right. Uh, and that's when they bust out the bug spray and things start to go south. Um, so they, they spray Jake and he starts scrambling to run out of the, of this meeting and, uh, he gets hit and his limbs start going numb and, like, everything starts getting, like, kind of weird and dreamlike and out of focus uh, and then Tobias grabs him and takes off. I think he's scrambling towards the door and he kind of gets right outside and Tobias swoops in, grabs him and takes him to the roof of a nearby Boston market. Cause we need to know <laughs> the specific store that they landed on. Is, and it's a Boston market. Is Boston market a fast food place technically? Cause Tobias says later that's where they are at a fast food restaurant. And I'm like, is it? I think so, because like it, the whole point is that you can get like turkey dinners really fast, right? I, sure. I, it's been a while since I've been in a Boston market. I just know they make like rotisserie chickens. Yeah, it's like, it's like Thanksgiving fast food. So oh it's like God. slower than McDonald's, but it's like Thanksgiving food. Why did I not go to Boston Market more often? Had I known it was just Thanksgiving <laughs> fast food. I fucking love Did you not know it was Thanksgiving fast I didn't. food? I I literally did not oh, know. Man. Oh man, I missed out on so much in the night. You did. They still have them. They're still around. Are they? Yeah, there's one like kind of near me, like probably 15 20 minutes drive. Well, geez, I'm coming to your house. All right, come on over. We'll go to Boston Market. I'll eat as much mashed potatoes as I can freaking buy. I fucking <laughs> love mashed potatoes. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. Let's well, go. this is a plan. Okay. All right. Anyway, well, let's Pausing so, to Boston Market. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on before like we actually yeah. have to like pause and go to Boston Market for real. <laughs> I wonder if we made any of our listeners hungry for mashed potatoes now. Oh, doesn't that sound I'm, good, audience? Oh, doesn't it? Like with and then you like hollow out the middle and you pour oh gravy in it. You make like a little volcano. Enough. Sorry. Okay. All right. Moving on. So um, Tobias takes Jake to the roof of a nearby Boston Market, which probably smells like mashed potatoes and roast chickens. Oh God. You're the worst. And, uh, <laughs> 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 and uh, Jake um, sort of goes into this weird trance where he's having that dream where he's hunting Tom as the tiger. And right as he's about to pounce on Tom, Jake becomes the one being hunted and he panics. And then Jake wakes up 
and he wakes up to Tobias staring at his face a few inches away, and Jake goes, am I okay? And Tobias says, you seem to be. He's like, it was kind of a weird demorph, though. You were sort of in a coma as you were coming out of it. And then the first thing that Jake says after that is, you really saved my butt back there. And um, I made a note that Tobias was really bad at taking this compliment. And he kind of goes like, yep, anytime you need the Air Force, I'm here. You know, Red Tail Airlines at your service. Blah, 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 blah. Like, it's this weird mix of, like, bad at taking a compliment and being way too talkative. And then Jake is like, okay, buddy, like, you're acting a little weird. What's going on? He goes, well, Tom left with Visor 3 and they seemed really buddy-buddy. Yeah. So that's not great. So we cut to the next day at school where Jake's playing some basketball and um, has these weird moments of, like, you know, being a basketball guy and, like, you know, being like, oh, my brother's a good player and and I'm dribbling against Juan and, like, blah, blah, blah. Juan. Yeah, Juan. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then he falls on him and they say to Jake he's built like an ox, which would be another really good battle morph, by the way. Oh, yeah. So... Just saying. But yeah, so they, it's like this weird back and forth banter. Uh, and then Marco kind of, I guess they're passing each other and Marco goes, oh, thank God it's not wrestling. And then there's this really weird moment where Jake's like, you know, in ancient Greece, they used to wrestle naked and thank God it's not there with no deodorant and naked. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> so yeah, Marco's like, <laughs> yep. So anyways, it's happening on Tuesday and Jake's like, what's happening on Tuesday? He's like, the the governor the surgery and jake's like how did you get this and marco's like i pretended to be a reporter and called the guy oh, and i'm like no who believes that on the phone i call bullshit on that he has 12 year old <laughs> squeaky boy voice <laughs> Seriously. unless he was like i'm doing a report for the school newspaper like what <laughs> who yeah like unless who? it was really Why? just like not secret information the governor's schedule like what <laughs> Can, can you get the governor's schedule though anymore like is that something you could do nowadays could you do it back then what yeah could you what whatever whatever i don't know i don't know either but it that's the the really important part of this is that marco is convinced the surgery is for hemorrhoids and nothing will convince him otherwise <laughs> <laughs> like it's literally like it's brought up so many times. Like, it's one of those things that even, like, now it cracks me up so badly because Marco's like, it's hemorrhoids. And, like, Jake's not reacting. Jake's like, ah, oh, yes, it's Tuesday. Good work, Marco. He's like, yeah, but it's hemorrhoids. And Jake's <laughs> like, yes, he's going in for surgery, Marco. And Marco's like, no, Jake, Jake, it's hemorrhoids. And, like, it's such a, it's written in such a, like. It's very important to Marco. It's so important to Marco. And it, like, this writing is just amazing because, like, who writes those scenarios for people? Like, it's such a human and, like, normal thing to happen. But, like, who writes about that? Like, the kid that's like, no, no, you're not getting it. Hemorrhoids. <laughs> it's funny. Like, oh. It's why so don't you good. find this as amusing as me? Yeah, he's like, why aren't you laughing? I've said hemorrhoids, like, five times now, Jake. Why aren't you laughing? But Jake doesn't think it's that funny. No. Jake's not amused by hemorrhoids. I am, though. Good job, Marco. That's a funny <laughs> joke. <laughs> Let me give you credit 20 years late. Good job, Marco. Good God. (laughs) 
Yeah. So um, they they do that, and then Marco like does get his last goodbye with like Cassie has a morphine mind, and Jake's like, "What is it?" And he's like, "I'm not telling you, but I will say dog poop." And I'm like, "What I imagine is he walked backwards through a doorway with his hat turned around, making finger guns, yeah. saying dog poop." Yeah. So that's probably legit what happened. Yep. So then we cut to the kids at the mall, and Jake is looking for something for her birthday, and um, he mentions. Birthday. For, yeah, for his mom's birthday. Sorry, can you not read my notes through this audio podcast? <laughs> you just said her, and I'm like, uh, well, who? <laughs> who? Who's her? Yeah, for his mom. Sorry, it happened so quickly, I just got caught up. Okay. Um, and the point that I'm rushing towards right now is he mentions that the year before he bought his mom a Spider-Man number three in almost mint condition. <laughs> almost mint condition in this day and age is that exact issue is worth $4,725. Holy shit. Yeah, so wow. maybe next time, Jake's mom, be a little more thankful. Oh my god. God. <laughs> but, that. yeah. So Rachel's mom, uh, Rachel, <laughs> Rachel's mom, Rachel <laughs> finds Jake's mom a silk blouse for less than $20, which is going to be worth nothing in 20 years, <laughs> FYI. And so. she does some, like, crazy math shit, and I'm like, I wrote down a note, I was mm-hmm. like, why are there so many math moments in this series? Oh, you know what? I wonder if they were trying to convince us that math was cool. I I don't know, because in Cassie's book, when they were on the boat, they were doing some math, and I feel like Marco did some math last book, and I'm just like, what? what? Oh, Stop pushing yeah. your math agenda. <laughs> Stop trying to make me do math. God. Like, I'm on Jake's level. Like, you know, 20 miles per hour in an hour is like 20 miles. Like, yeah. I get that, Jake. We're on the same page. But, like, <laughs> Rachel doing this crazy, like, math. And then the other thing I love about it, too, is she actually, like, she falls into that trap that, like, credit card debtors put you into where it's like, <laughs> no, 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 buy this now because you're coming out $20 ahead. And Jake's like, but wait, what? Like, why am I spending $15 to come out $20 ahead? That doesn't make mathematical sense. And they're like, no, just believe her. And it's like, no, this is what credit card companies do to you. To, like, yep. make you believe in them. That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I appreciated that. <laughs> so anyways, this entire math rant aside, <laughs> um, Rachel ditches them. She says, I'm going to go look for something in juniors. And that, like, it. I kind of, like, popped out of the book for a moment. I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, that's right. They have to shop in juniors because they're children. So <laughs> that threw me for a loop. So she leaves them, and then we get this fantastic conversation between Jake and Cassie about what morph they're going to use to break in there, and it's flies, and that turns into the whole running joke of this book, which is the Jeff Goldblum, help me, when he's a fly. So, have you ever seen The Fly, by the way? I haven't, and honestly, whenever they kept making that reference, I kept thinking about The Emperor's New Groove. What? They make that reference in that movie. He's like, as a llama, he's like walking through the forest, and a fly like flies into a, a spider web, and he's like, "Help me!" So, I, yeah. All right. I have not. I've seen um, parts of the fly, but I've never seen the movie as a whole, and um, I did not catch that in the Emperor's New Groove. So now I'm gonna have to watch both of those movies. I mean. I'm- I always recommend watching The Emperor's New Groove. It is a underrated Disney gem. It really is. And I find myself quoting that whole, like, I'm going to put it in a box and then inside another box and then <laughs> ship that box to me and then I'm going to smash the box to be... And, like, nobody gets that reference. And I'm oh like, but that's God. such a 
great, like... It's so classic. Oh, oh my God. What if, her name's Ezra, right? That's Yzma. Isma, thank you. She, what if she and Visor 3 teamed up? Oh my god. They'd be the and campiest this, villain duo. It would be. And they're like, we're going to put the Animorphs in a box. And she's like, and then we're going to ship that box to me. <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, Emperor's New Groove is pretty topical because it's about people changing into animals. Oh, yeah. Oh that's a god. great point. Oh my and, oh my god. Okay, so just to take this on a really dark turn, what <laughs> if we redid book three as the Emperor's new groove and he's despairing because he's stuck as a llama for oh. all of eternity? Oh my god. And he tries to, like, kill himself because he realizes he will never be human again. Oh my and god. And Tobias already has, like, nothing to live for as a human, but he's a, like, emperor. Yeah. So imagine his despair of getting back to his body from a llama. And he does try to go and live with the llamas at some point in the movie. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I hate this. Oh, no. What have we done? Oh, God. Oh, God. Let's get back to this book, because I think we've just done something really bad, and I have bad feelings, and I don't know what to do. (laughs) I need an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, we did did something bad. Let's back out. Back it out. (laughs) Back out. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. So, um, so anyways. <laughs> ah, um, they they get the fly and they're gonna practice morphing the fly because as we've now realized they've practicing is a good thing. And um as Casey uh, Casey Casey, good job. <laughs> we wrote you into the book. I was the fly all along. <laughs> As Cassie starts morphing the fly, it's apparently so gross that Rachel actually pukes. Yes. Yeah. Which Mm -hmm. is um, pretty funny because what this reminded me of was when I was uh, working consistently at the the rehab center for the birds, when we would take bot flies off of the owls and stuff when they'd come in, which bot flies are disgusting. They're not like the African ones that like implant maggots into your skin and they grow. Like those are gross on a different level. But when we take bot flies off of like the owls and stuff, one of my boss's favorite things to do is to put them under the microscope and make you look at their faces, which are absolutely fucking disgusting. Oh my god. Like it's truly horrifying. So like this was this resonated with me. I'm like, yeah, I can see how this would make somebody with a weak stomach puke. I'm so yeah. I kinda wanna look up a bot fly face now. Just like in Do it. Moment. Oh god. Do it. Do it and react. React god. live. This is like our unboxing video of your reaction to bot flies. Oh god. Do it. Oh, Tell me what you think. Image. It looks like. Oh God! Oh. <laughs> nope. Nope. I. Yep. I made a mistake. There's some body horror bullshit. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, they got God. some gross faces. Oh God. Oh. Yep. Oh, I feel like Rachel right now. Yep. And they burrow those little faces into skin. No, like you don't understand. I didn't even see a face. I saw like the third image was this woman who had like. Oh God, I can't even. Oh well, this is she gone had, south. Like, botfly bites or things all over her back. Don't Google that. Oh, is this like when the like the maggots popping out? Is that what you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I watch videos of people pulling those out. You I know... think that's amusing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, do you know what trypophobia is? Yeah, yeah. It's the, when you're afraid of lotus boob, basically. <laughs> it's like 
four internet references just strung together. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you just stated it so frankly. I'm just, I'm just so taken aback. <laughs> like, by the fact that I, I knew what it was, or just that it was stated well, in that particular way? I thought you were going to say, like, trypophobia, the fear of small holes, but you jumped right to, like, lotus boob. So. To the ultimate fear? <laughs> yeah. It's from zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds. Um, I'm like a new Tesla, guys. <laughs> oh, God, uh, I'm crying. Um, yeah, no. so if you have that fear, don't look up Lotus Boob. If um, you want a new fear, look up Lotus Boob. Oh, God. And if you've already looked that up, you should re-look it up and take a moment to assess why you're Googling this a second time. Oh, my God. Can we say this on the podcast? <laughs> Why not? It's an audio podcast. <laughs> it's not like we're going to post that image with this episode. I swear to God, I will not. I, I do, am not doing that. I do not condone the Google searching of Lotus Boob if you have trypophobia. Yeah. Yeah, no, don't. It's not like the best thing to do with your time, but Mm-mm. you could do it. Ugh. Yeah. Yay. Horrible. Temperature. All right, we'll get back, we'll get back to this. I mean... It's pertinent information because it this entire series is about like tiny maggoty yerk thingies going into places and making the residence. So true. It's topical. Yerks equal lotus boob. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Write us at anonymousanimorsegmail.com. <laughs> People are gonna start sending us pictures of lotus boob as attachments. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. I mean. I'll be fine because I can deal with that sort of like I've I've had years of training in this so if you want me to just like start parsing through emails for that but I'd prefer if you didn't. Oh god. So anyway. I yeah, anyway. So um Cassie gets control of this fly morph pretty quickly. <laughs> and it turns out that once they're actually morphed into flies, it's awesome. It's like they're flying at at like what Mach 6 or something you said. Like something crazy. And they can fly straight up, straight down, backwards, forwards. Like, there's, they're just, like, they're, like, being a fly, morphing to it is disgusting. But once you're there, it is so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tobias and Marco get into this really funny banter where Tobias makes a joke about how it's enough to gag a maggot. And Marco's like, don't diss our children this way. <laughs> so I really liked that. I, I really, I love the Tobias Marco relationship at this point. I think it's really funny. Well, and like that was a significant moment for me because Marco, who is previously like very object to all of this animorph stuff, uh-huh, and is cracking a joke like that. Like I don't know. Maybe it's because the morph was cool, but he it, he just like very much embraced it, kind of like like don't diss our children, like yeah. I am a fl- I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it totally it's a it's, I think if this was Marco pre, his last book, this would be more like oh great we're morphing flies I hate this why do we do this why can't we follow my dream of not being a fly like you know yeah. it would be complaining whereas now he's kind of like he's he's in yeah he's in the group yeah, then they um. They make a, a fly necklace on Tobias. And this was, um, I know we've both brought up this part already because Tobias is the bus. They're now not using public transport. Thank God. Thank God we are over that. 
Oh, they're using Tobias's public transport, which is free. He is, Tobias is like the scout, the bus, and like occasionally he'll swoop in and claw out some eyes. Like that's his role in the group. Yeah. And he's really good at it. He is. He's the best. He is the best. And he also has fleas. He does have fleas. Yeah. He's really sensitive about it. He, well, I would be too. Fleas are pretty gross. And, but it probably does mean that he does that adorable thing where he takes his little talon and, like, scritches right behind his eye. You know, where they put the nictitating membrane over and they just do that, really? Like, I, yeah. But they're probably actually feather mites and not fleas, was my note. Speaking of birds scritching themselves really cutely. um, Yes. (laughs) Have you watched Planet Earth 2? Um, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Um, it, like, it just came out, and, uh. There's this uh, type of hummingbird that has, like, a super-duper-duper-duper-long bill. And, and it's, Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, so long that it can't groom itself, so it just, like, kind of scritches behind its ears with its little feet, and it's really adorable. Oh, yeah, I've totally seen that. Um, yeah. The hummingbird that specializes in that one flower. Yeah, I've yeah. totally seen that episode. I know exactly what you're talking about, and yes, I have seen it. Cute. Yes, and then they do, like, the super slow-mo shots of him, like, wiping his feet over his head and everything, and it's adorable. Yeah. Aww. Yeah, and if you've never seen a bird scritching itself, just Google that, (laughs) (laughs) because it's adorable and well worth your time. Yeah. It's, in fact, Google that over Lotus Boob. Please. For sure. Please. (laughs) 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 That's our recommendation. Yes. So, um, anyways, they're flying off towards the hospital, and uh, they make a joke about Tobias dropping off the payload there, and the paratroopers, and uh, then they all go, help me! (laughs) And uh, they end up flying into the hospital, and um, that goes relatively smoothly. They get off of Tobias, they go tumbling down, and then uh, they make it through an open window where they smell poop, and bananas, and poop, and then they... Talk about how much poop is. This book is nothing but poop jokes. Yeah, but no fart jokes, just poop jokes. It's classy. They're kids. Kids like poop jokes. Yeah. Um, And then I made another note here, which uh, is entirely out of the blue. But while I was listening to this, I usually have, like, uh, music on in the background. Um, Generally not, like, generally it's just reading music. But this time I had a different playlist on and Bad Girls by M.I.A. came on. And I realized what I really, really want is a super badass side story where Rachel and Cassie just go on, like, this girl power, like, wreaking havoc um, sort of, like, side mission thing where they save somebody, and it's, like, the super badass girl power, like, friend fic. I like that. Right? Fan fiction! Fan fiction heads out there write that. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, <laughs> um, they're in the hospital, they're buzzing around, um, they're smelling a lot of poop, and then they start getting this other uh, smell that's somewhat familiar, and I think they realize at this point that this kind of smells like the Yerk pool, but they don't explicitly state that, mm-hmm. and they follow it. Um, so they get into this room, and they're like, how do we do it? Under the door. Okay, they scoot under there. And they're like, okay, let's demorph. We don't think there's a human in here. And Jay goes, just in case, Axe, you demorph first because your body's going to be better than anyone else's. Also because if there is a human in there and you see an Andalite, that makes more sense. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. This is like really good instincts right here. Yeah, they didn't explicitly bring that up, but that's something that I thought of when I was reading that. Yeah, and it's oh, it is such a good move. And um and it led to this other moment that I really liked where Axe demorphs and he takes out the human and Axe goes, I just um basically knocked him unconscious because I, I know your brother's a controller and I wasn't sure if this was your brother. And it this is like the first time that I felt like Jake didn't just dismiss Axe out of hand. He gives him this whole like good job like that's a great instinct this isn't my brother but these are humans they're someone's brother it's someone's dad someone's uncle so that's you know good job in thinking that and doing that and it kind of sets up the way axe interacts with fighting humans for the rest of the series so yay i just i just liked it i liked that jake and axe had that moment because they they don't really have a lot of straight one-on-one interactions at this point Mm mm-hmm so it was nice to see it. So Axe casually uh, fells a human unconscious. Casually. And no one's that concerned. I just want to know how he did it. Uh, he hits them with the flat of his tail blade. Gotcha, it's gotcha. an Andalite fighting move that they learn, actually, in ah. fighting school. Yeah. Andalite pinch. Yeah, there's some sort of name for it, too, that we find out later. But I can't, it's an Andalite name, so it's like, you know, made up word. <gasps> I don't know what it is. Oh my god. I, I really, I want at some point for Tobias to punch somebody and him be like, Falcon, punch! <laughs> I want that. But you realize if he did that, all that would happen was I would complain about how he's not a Falcon. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm part I mean, of the I still want to see that. I'm part of the problem. <laughs> okay, maybe Marco can do it. Wait, does Marco have a Falcon? Anyway. No, Jake would do it. Jake is a peregrine. He would do it. <gasps> I walked into that. I'm so sorry. No, that's fine. I'm I'm just being a, a terrible person. I mean, falcons really do punch their food. That's they how do. they because they come out of the dive at like it, they have like 20 g's of pressure coming out of a dive at over 120 miles an hour. So all they have to do is punch the bird below them. It stuns them, and then they go and pick them up in a minute. So, anyways, falcon punches real thing. It's real. <laughs> it's real. Anyways, <laughs> um, so they're, they're in this room, and they realize that there's a jacuzzi in there, and they take the top of it off, and they see that, like, roiling, boiling, yerk, steely liquid, and uh, they're disgusted. And Jake goes, so what would happen if we hooked up this jacuzzi and use it as God intended? <laughs> <laughs> so he hooks it up, and he has... He, like, knows that if he, like, gets this hooked up, it'll be at full power? How does he know that? Uh, I'm more concerned with how does he know how to MacGyver a jacuzzi back into life. That's a good... Where does he get this jacuzzi knowledge? Did he learn it in shop class? Like, what... His parents, I don't think it states that they explicitly have a jacuzzi, so it's, like, not in his backyard. But they do play tennis, which is, like, a super rich person thing to do. Oh, so maybe they do have a jacuzzi. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. This <laughs> 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 theory. But maybe there's a jacuzzi-type pool at the clinic where Cassie's that Cassie's dad has at the barn to help rehab some of the animals and Jake when he went over for Thanksgiving helped them hook it up. Maybe. Yep. Maybe he's that just could... a man and men know how to fix things. <laughs> 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 or maybe 
maybe it's just that it really is as simple as hooking up red to red, green to green, blue to blue, and calling it a day. I, I don't know. I don't. The anyways, he hooks. Are <laughs> the possibilities are endless. So he hooks up the jacuzzi, um, and it starts up, and uh, it starts to boil some yurks. And right as it kind of kicks on, somebody busts into the room and realizes what's going on. And uh, so they start immediately shooting a gun. Question mark. <laughs> so that happens and uh two shots are fired a third one is fired but jake doesn't hear it he feels a searing pain in his head and suddenly he's kind of in and out of consciousness for a minute so um, i was unclear about that part he said something about ricochet did a bullet bounce off the wall and hit him in the head i think that's what he thinks happened yeah or like a shrapnel or something something hit him in the head oh okay as he was trying to morph a tiger. Oh, we should also mention Cassie has morphed a wolf at this point. Oh, yeah. Because she's... Jake told her to when he was jerry-rigging the hot tub. Yeah. She and Axe are guarding the door. Yeah. Axe is just an antelope, though. He hasn't morphed. He's cutting off so, people's hands. Yeah, yeah he, he cuts off a dude's hand. The guy who was firing the gun, he chopped off his arm. Good. Normal. I didn't even feel a need to mention that. It's so casual. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he... He gets hit by something in his head, and he kind of, like, swims in and out of consciousness. And as he comes to, he's choking on water from the yerk pool, and he feels a searing pain in his head. And this leads to, like, this very weird next five to ten minutes happening in the book, where Jake's, like, trying to figure things out, but he can't really talk. And he's, uh, Rachel shows up as an elephant and is making holes in doorways, and Marco's there as the gorilla, and he grabs Jake, throws a coat over his head so nobody can see his face, and they start running with him. And they're escaping, and, like, the Anwars are going through this whole thing where they're, like, busting down doors and, and knocking people over, getting out of there. And Jake's, like, it's getting further and further away for him. He can't quite figure it out. Cassie morphs into a horse, which, by the way, look who's starting to double morph now. Go Animorphs. Yeah, I know. And uh, they put Jake onto Cassie, so she starts running, but when she tries to jump a fence, he falls off, and somebody else or something else focuses his eyes, and that's when he started to realize that he's a controller, and there's a yerk in his head. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So, um, Jake's still out of it. He's not able to talk, uh, and the yerk's not talking through him yet. Jake and the Yerks start having this battle in his head, and the Yerks kind of taunting Jake, and um, he realizes really quickly that uh, this is Tom's former Yerk who's getting promoted, and this Yerk was intended to go into the governor's head, and that kind of messes with Jake's mind because he was Tom not too long ago, and now he's starting to be Jake, and and they they're struggling not for control. But Jake's kind of struggling to see what the year can and can't do yet. And what he can get from his mind. And um, I know we you had asked in an earlier podcast what it was like to be taken over by a yerk. I, and I told you ominously there was a good description of it coming up soon. Yeah, I, I definitely remembered that while I was reading this. I'm like, okay, now we're going to find out. Yep. Also, exactly. I got flashbacks to the scene from The Two Towers where Smeagol and Gollum are, like, talking to each other. Yes. Oh, like, my God. 
This book is a lot of parallels to Lord of the Rings. Yes. That's awesome. And I also, um, I wrote in this scene that it's um, interesting because the Yurk says resistance is futile, which is a Star Trek reference. That's uh, that's what the Borg say when they're taking over. And the Borg are this hive mind that it's a very similar circumstance where they take host bodies and they integrate them into this hive mind. And that's how... um, I mean, there's a couple of different points with the Borg, but Jean-Luc Picard gets taken at one point and he uh, integrates this idea of freedom into the Borg and that kind of destroys them from the inside and blah, blah, blah. So anyways, it was just this really, it, it was interesting to draw parallels between the Borg and the Yerks mm-hmm. when this came up. So, yay, Star Trek Corner. Dun, dun, dun. That's another podcast, Star Trek <laughs> podcast. Um, so everything is kind of going well for this Yerk because Jake has no control as we soon realize he can't move anything he can't say anything he the Yerk can access his memories like files pull them up project things into his mind like the Yerk has total and complete control and he's saying things to his friends now that he's starting to like get control of Jake's body that Jake would say in the same inflection he would say it and so his friends are fooled completely and Jake's starting to go oh my god how like what can I do what what is my recourse right now and then Axe is the one that that saves the day because he surprises Jake and Jake turns around and gets this look of hatred on his face and just says andalite filth and um Axe has this funny moment where he knows he's a yerk. He puts his tail blade to Jake's neck so that he can't move or do anything. And then Axe goes, I don't understand human expressions, so what was that expression? And that's kind of what convinces everybody that, yeah, Jake probably is a yerk. So, yeah. It was cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was kind of interested that, like, they saw his head fall into the jacuzzi with the yerks. Like, how did that thought not occur to them up until, yeah. you know, like that would be my first instinct is, oh shit, Jake's head fell in there. What if he got infected? Like that would be my first fucking thought. But did they like see his head fall in there? Like, were they paying attention to that? Oh. Cause they were in the battle by the time this all happened. I mean, like they knew he was spitting up water and stuff, but I don't know that any of them actually like saw that happen. I mean, maybe, maybe, yeah. I mean, it should have been a thought. It was a thought in Axe's head. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think Marco realizes pretty quickly, too, what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. But they figure it out. <laughs> and then uh, this leads to a bunch of moments that I really, really love. Because um, after Axe is saying, listen, he's obviously a yerk. You can tell. Um Jake starts saying, like, Jake the Yerk was saying, like, oh, no, this is, you know, I'm just stressed out. I didn't mean it. He just surprised me, and I just have a... And Tobias goes, Jake saying Andalite filth because he was stressed out? No, not not in this universe. And it this just brought together for me this feeling of, like, Jake is the spearhead of the team, but the team itself is like the real strength they each bring this to the table jake never makes or very rarely makes decisions without consulting everybody first and that's because even when jake's incapacitated they have that strength behind them of being able to like source this and figure it out and argue back and forth until they get the right answer 
And just Tobias saying that brought it home for me where I'm like, oh, yeah, like they get it and they're going to figure it out. and They're going to know what to do, even though their leader's incapacitated. Right. So that happens. Um, and then the Yurk realizes that he and Cassie have something going on. And so the Yurk says she's the weak link in the team. So this led me to another question for you. Do you think that Cassie is always the weak link, or do you think the Yerk just meant in this situation? Like, what's your feeling so far? I definitely took it as in this situation, because he could tell that they had, you know, feelings for each other, and... Because, I mean, I personally feel like all of the kids have... bring a weakness to the team in, in their own ways. Mm-hmm. Um... And in, in, insofar as reading all their books, but you know, I mean, he kind of brings up in a little bit that Cassie and Marco could be persuaded, yeah, to to believe that that Jake was fine, um, because they're the two people that are closest to him, yeah. So yeah, I don't know why he called out Cassie specifically. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I I got into this whole thing of like I'm not sure how. Like, exactly what the Yurk meant when he was saying that. Whether it was just now or overall, Cassie's the weak link in the team. Yeah. It, maybe it was meant to be ambiguous. I don't know. Could be. Because, like, again, I think all of them bring kind of a weak link to the team. Like, Jake is, you know, too willing to go off and do things on his own because he wants to assume all the responsibility like Rachel's uh-huh. yeah. Rachel tends to be a little bit reckless and Tobias, you know, physically can't do much and like And he never he keeps things from them. He keeps things from yeah. Jake that he shouldn't. Yeah. So just some examples. And then what would Marco's weakness be? Um I don't know, because I feel like his biggest like weakness was his like resistance to be on the team. But now that uh-huh. he's kind of reconciled that, I'm not sure necessarily what his weakness is. Maybe his biggest weakness is just the fact that he can see the bigger picture from A to B, and he's willing to do, like, much like Rachel's willing to fight and cause chaos, Marco's willing to do the thing that's dark because it has to be done. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And then Axe is, is very, like inexperienced as far as the human oh world. yeah and Absolutely. i also feel and like, even andalite world yeah and i also feel like he can be a little hot-headed too like i feel like he can be he can rush into situations without thinking he can let like the arrogance of his people get to him as well like yeah. he can yeah oh my god they just they just all bring a different strength to the table and they all just kind of balance out each other's weaknesses and oh my god <laughs> Yeah, oh, I love this so much. Like, they're, they're one of the best built teams of, like, any series ever. <laughs> oh, I love this so much. And I just, I, the other thing I love about it, too, is, like, they're one of the best teams, but, like, now, if one of them gets taken out, they can still cover for each other. And it's probably not, like, 100% efficiency of what they're normally capable of, but... It, it's 80%, and that's good enough, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, anyways, I liked that. And I and that's really what the next part of this book is, is them figuring out Jake and figuring out this Yerk and, and staying one step ahead of him. Mm-hmm. 
And the fact that they're successful in this is just another one of those, oh my God, our babies are growing up moments. Yeah. Like, it's genius. (laughs) Um, So, like, they're still not, they're pretty sure Jake's a yerk at this point. In fact, I think they're all convinced, but the yerk is, he thinks there's still a weakness, and Jake is doubting it too. And the yerk, like, of course can hear every single thought Jake has. So he's, like, playing into that, and he's trying to say to Cassie, like, yeah, well, you know, I, I don't want to kill anything, but I, I have to. And that's, like, you know, really the, the like, darkness of this team. Blah, blah, blah. And he thinks he's getting to Cassie, and he thinks that he's playing on Cassie not liking Axe's bloodthirstiness, but he's totally not. Like, this just doesn't work at all. Um, and then they, Jake is, like, trying to be, like, okay, I, like how am I going to let them know that it's me? And, and what, how am I going to fool him? And the Yerk is like, how am I going to fool him into thinking I'm actually Jake? And the team just keeps going. Like you keep giving yourself away because Jake would always do what's best for everyone. And that's helping X pretend that, that he's Jake. And that's helping us because they decide that, you know, X will just take Jake's place for the three days it takes to starve out the Yerk. And they're saying, this is, Jake would be on board with this. Jake would understand this plan. And you're not playing that up. You're trying to escape. You're trying to get out of here. And so you're giving yourself away in every moment here. Mm-hmm. But the Yurk is still pretty confident. <laughs> he thinks that they're going to slip up and that that's going to allow him to get away. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, at this point, it really seems like that is a possibility. Uh, so Axe is going to go be Jake. And, um... This leads to the last moment where they, they absolutely cement that, that Jake is now a controller. And that's when Axe touches him to acquire him. He goes off again on Andalites. And they're like, okay, yeah. we know you're, you're a controller now. And then the Yerk doesn't even try to hide it. He's basically yeah. like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so um, they tie Jake up. And they're... Jake is living the rest of this book really, or for the most part, the rest of the book in his own head. He's like raging against the Yerk and the Yerk is just raging back against him. And so the Yerk has these fantasies of getting promoted. And then, so Jake goes, Oh yeah. So you think you're going to, you think you're going to get away with this. And then the Yerk plays back an embarrassing fantasy to Jake about him, like winning this basketball game and Cassie's there and, and Tom accepts him. And, um, it's just horribly embarrassing. Like, it's like the mirror of the Enrised, but gone wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the Yerk also is like, oh yeah, I was the, the one that was in your brother's head. And, you know, wouldn't you like to see what happened to him? And he starts showing Jake that, you know, he starts playing back the scene in the beginning of the book where they're just like talking back and forth over the breakfast table. And... Yep. he shows Jake that Tom has basically given up. He's, like, lost in his own head, and he wishes, for the most part, that he would just die. And, like, you know, obviously that's, like, a power move to kind of dissuade Jake um, from from trying. Yeah. And I just, I really appreciate how the whole exchange between Jake and the Yurk for the rest of this book is purely mental like i'm glad that k applegate didn't go the route that like like no one can physically fight off a yerk 
except for the chosen one. Like, like you could have easily been like, oh, Jake has the strength to like fight off the Yurk, and he's like the only one to be able to do that. I really appreciate that she didn't go down that route. That that they outsmart him and like, you know, mentally bring him down instead of like trying to physically overpower it. Like, I just yep. I just think that was great. Oh, it it was a genius move, and it was like it. You gotta think, like, from the outside of this, Jake is sitting in a chair for, like, days, basically. So we're in three days of him, like, sitting there, or for the most part, sitting there. But it's this insane, emotional, intense battle, and, yeah, like, exactly what you said. Jake is totally helpless. There's nothing he can do, and it's somehow more fucked up that way. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's so, like... And I know this is like exactly the moment that came to me when you asked, was there any way that the host could really fight back? And I kind of said, well, when they're in really emotional situations, sometimes they can get like, they can overpower them a bit and it depends on where they are in the feeding cycle and, and how concentrated the yerk is and all that sort of stuff. But like, no, like really no, at the end of the day, they can have moments of control, mm-hmm. but never enough to overcome the yerk. They will, the yerk will always come back in control of, of the host. Right. So yeah, it's intense. It's so intense. Um, and then there's this fun moment where uh, Rachel has fallen asleep on guard duty and the yerk realizes this and the yerk morphs to tiger and Jake just now realizes that the Yurk has control of morphing like he has control of the rest of his body. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is something that us as readers realized very early on. <laughs> um, so he turns into a tiger and he assures Jake, oh, I'm not going to kill her now. I'm going to take, you know, take you to visit three and then we'll get more host bodies. And I'm going to tell him that you're all humans, except for the one failure and delight and all this sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, then he's he's smelling humans. So the Yerk forces the tiger into a run. And after about 10 minutes, he gets exhausted because, as we know, Yerks are not great at playing to the animal strengths. Yeah. Uh and then he smells more humans and blah, blah, blah. So then the Yurk realizes he's lost. And he goes, oh, well, I can just morph into a falcon and fly out of here. So he demorphs, starts to remorph into a falcon. And that's when a great horned owl attacks him, which is something Tobias mentioned at the beginning of the book. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So it was, uh, that was pretty oh, awesome. I love that. It, I love that too. So he gets attacked and, like, pretty badly attacked. Like, apparently the, the owl took out, um, like, a whole part of the wing on, on the falcon. And so he demorphs and, and he's like, okay, well, we'll try a wolf. And so they morph into a wolf. And uh, that's when Jake's like, oh, no, like, this time we're doomed because the wolf can run forever. He has a great sense of direction. He kind of knows where the city is versus where the deeper forest is. And so the yerk is riding a high now and he's like we're gonna go towards where you know you think civilization is and so he starts running towards them and uh they the yurk's going we we conquered the taxons and the hork and this is stram and the mac that's not me stuttering it's s-s-s-t-r-a-m <laughs> just fyi i didn't stutter <laughs> um so jake goes well don't 
count out the count on the humans yet conquering them and that's when they kind of realize that they're he's they're running the wolf right towards the pack of wild wolves that was such a big problem in book three and uh they run him into that wolf pack and jake goes okay fight that guy that's the alpha wolf of a real wolf pack that's like sure go ahead but he's won many fights before you he's here for a reason and you don't know what you're doing um and that that freaks out the yerk because the yerk is like realizing just how dangerous some of these earth animals are so um he sees he turns around and marco's there as a human and marco's like all right quit playing let's get back to the shack like you know blah, blah. and uh the yerk goes i'm gonna like jump at Marco and get, or he feels like he's going to jump at Marco and get his throat. And Jake's like, oh shit, he's going to attack Marco. But then Rachel's right behind him as an African elephant. And Marco's <laughs> kind of like, yeah, don't fucking think about it. Rachel's right here. Like, yeah. you know, they, they've just outthought him in every way possible. Yeah. Cause they tell him awesome. like, we knew that you were going to try and morph out. So like, you know, Cassie morphed an owl and she stopped you back there. And you know, like the rest of us are just kind of, we got the, we got the ground covered. So don't even try anything. Yep. And they're like, they are so good. And like, the other thing that's really amazing at this point, too, this is when Jake has that inner, um, like, dialogue with the Yerk where he's like, here's the difference between humans and Yerks. And then I made a note in, and Andalites. When the odds are completely against you, when you are in a corner and you cannot win, humans will keep fighting no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yerks will stop, Andalites will stop, but humans never will. And that's what's going to make us win this war against you. And it was such an awesome moment of, like, just pure insanity, but, like, empowering. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Jake saying, like, yeah, you can, you're in my head, you control every part of my body, I can't escape you, there's absolutely nothing I can do, but you know what? We're still going to win. <laughs> and that's got to be so intimidating to the Yerk, who's not part of a team and, like, it will back down. But, yeah, it's, I, I made a note of that. And then the Andalites, too, I mean, that's probably a similar thing because the Andalites are, they don't want to, like, you know, come to Earth either. And and how has um, Visor 3 kept Aloran under his, you know, control for so long? It's got to be because... Um, the Andalite body that he he infested. Oh. That's his name. Not important. But um, so how has he kept that Andalite host body under control for so long? It's got to be because he's completely dominated the Andalite, right? And made him back down. Yep. Like, that's got to be part of it. Just has to be. Because otherwise the Andalite would have escaped. He's had, a, had that host body for how many years? And he feeds every three days. Like... Mm-hmm. Oh, so anyways, I, I just got really into that. <laughs> but yeah, so they march Jake slash the Yerk back to the shack where he's going to stay. And uh, there's like two more incidents that happened, but they're mentioned like in passing. Yeah. And it's... one is... What were you going to say? No, nothing. Go ahead. Uh, one is um, that he tries to morph an ant and he's attacked by an ant colony. Um, it didn't say whether or not the Animorphs put that ant colony there or put other ants there. Ants are just everywhere. Ants are just everywhere. So they they are, like, tearing him apart, and he has to demorph as they're tearing him apart. And the other one is um, Jake starts to morph into a falcon, and Tobias swoops in and grabs his head in his talons. 
And uh, he says, I'll kill you. And the Yurt goes, well, if you kill me, you're going to kill, you know, your friend, too. And Tobias goes, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's that fine. Me. Yeah, and he's like, it, we've all talked about this, and we've all decided that we would rather be dead than a controller, so that's fine. And he goes, and, and you know what, I really don't even have to kill him. All I have to do is blind you, and you're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's just this, like... It's such a, Tobias is such a badass. <laughs> um, and then, you know, they, they, that's really it. That's the last time the Yerk tries to escape. From now on, it's really just the Yerk dying and him and his death throes and Yeah, he, his life flashing before his eyes. Yeah. And, uh, and there's one, like, kind of taunting moment left. And that's where the Yerk starts talking about how his home world changed when the Andalites got there. And Jake goes, what do you mean? He goes, oh, your pet Andalite hasn't told you? He goes, why don't you ask him about that sometime? And Jake just goes, maybe I will. And then drops it. But it's like, it's this really weird taunt that I think kind of stays with Jake for the next few books. Foreshadowing. For It's foreshadowing. That's what I will say, but I will say no spoilers. <laughs> and then the fugue begins. And the fugue is the Yerks dying. So as he um, starts to die, tiny parts of what the Yerk, tiny parts of former hosts of the Yerk kind of become part of Jake. And that was something that um, is noted is that the Yerk takes on parts of the host as well. And it's like just kind of like memories, impressions is what it seems. It doesn't maybe character traits, something like that. Um but as the Yurk dies, he transfers that to Jake. So the Ged that he controlled. And the Ged was, um, I think we talked about this in, a, in an earlier podcast. Those are the earliest uh, hosts of the Yurk. Those are a, a creature that's native to their home planet. And we'll find more out about them later in the series. Um, the hork that we know, and this was an awesome just mention, was that the hork fought the Yurk every single day in his mind. Mm-hmm. Um and then Tom. And then we find out how Tom was taken. Yeah. Which was that... It's so sad. Yeah, he joined the sharing because of a girl that he liked. Mm-hmm. Which is just such a, you know... Uh, it starts... It's so, like, innocent. And then... And then he just yeah. got into a shitload of trouble. Because he walked in on a secret meeting. And they, and they, you know, kidnapped him and took him. And made him a controller. Yep. Yep, and then that's that was the end of it. That's Tom's a controller now. He's trapped forever because he because of a girl he liked. Yeah. So um, we see all of these moments kind of flashing before his eyes, and then just this shuddering pain, and then the Yerk goes beyond pain, and uh, he starts crawling out of Jake's ear, and Jake has more flashes like in and out where he's not quite in control. And that's when the eye of Sauron descends upon him. <laughs> Legitimately, that's about what happens. It's, a giant red eye fixates it's so on him. True. Yep. Yep. Oh man. So we see that flash, and that is foreshadowing as well. But I'm not gonna tell you what about. Yeah, I, I kind of figured. Because I'm a dick, and nope. you don't get to know yet. Nope. <laughs> I'll tell you when so, you're older. I'll tell you when you're older and we've read some more books. <laughs> um, so that flash um, happens for a second and then he sort of wakes up and Cassie seems to know 
the minute that Jake is himself again and gets control and she just kind of nods and then they see the yerk on the floor and he just withers up and dies. And he um, like he like disappears and becomes nothing, right? Yeah, he he like turns into like a dust. Conveniently. Conveniently. Cuz I'm of like course. what if they just like took his little body and then like took it somewhere and been like, "Hey, yerk, here you go, study it, do some tests on yep. it." But you can't cuz it it's fucking nothing now. Exactly. Ugh. Yep. Yep. And that's that's the end of that scene. Yep. It's over. Jake's Jake again. Yay. Yep. <laughs> so it it cuts to Jake having dinner with his family and <laughs> Jake's just had this insane three days and he's been struggling mentally he's just basically been through this like war camp in his own head where like psychological torture is taking place Mm -hmm. and his family's kind of like jake what's wrong and he's like well what do you mean he's like well you know for the past three days you've eaten absolutely everything we've put on the (laughs) table put on the table (laughs) including a pie for four people i love that (laughs) because like you know like ever since they came up with that cockamamie scheme of Acts pretending to be Jake. I'm like, oh shit, shenanigans are gonna ensue, and I want right? to know what happened. And I and love that they brought that back and like basically told him like, yeah, you went crazy and ate everything. Exactly. And then it, when um when Tom starts going, yeah, you kept saying potatoes, oh, yeah. toes, potatoes, <laughs> boil mash and stick Oh my god. Oh. I had that exact thought. Yeah. Oh my it's... god. It was just so funny. I'm so glad they did that, like, call at the end of it where they're like, yeah, Axe went nuts at your parents' house. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Axe didn't completely pull off being Jake. There was a few minor slip-ups. You know, it's, you know, (laughs) a little problematic. He did his best. (laughs) Um, And then there's this other moment where uh, Jake wonders if the Yerk was suspicious of this, but... It's said in this arrogant way that it almost makes me wonder, like, and and this is answered, like, a page later, but it made me wonder if part of the Yerk kind of was part of Jake now, because he has this little bit of arrogance he didn't have before. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right? Oh, shit. Um, So, yeah, that, that happens, and then it's, there's just kind of two minor points left in the book. This is just about the end, where Jake has the dream... But then he realizes that both he and Tom are the prey, and uh, that inspires him to use Cassie's dad's cellular phone the next day. <laughs> Actually spelled out cellular I wrote because that you down know. Too. Thank you. I'm glad. Oh cellular <laughs> um, telephone. Cellular telephone. So he uses the cellular telephone. Um, he morphs partially into Wolf so that his vocal cords and voice is all messed up, and he calls Tom, and he just says, "Never give up." Don't ever give up. And that's pretty much the end of the book. Yay. Yay. It's so sad. So there were definitely dark moments, but overall ended on a pretty high note. It did. It really did. And um, it highlighted so much about what the Animorphs are starting to get right and what they've learned, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. (laughs) <laughs> the babies are growing up they're growing up they're getting to be adults 
Yay! Yay! I'm really happy for them. Aww. You know, I'm so, I'm like really proud of like just, just the whole team and like how they're coming together as a team. And now that each one of them has their call to action, like I'm just really proud of how they've pieced it all together. Mm-hmm. Like, just... I feel like shit's going to get real now. Like, not that it wasn't before, but... But we've stopped stumbling around on these, like, let's just go and see what happens missions. Like, yeah. we have plans, and there's answers, and there's, like, there's history there now. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. It's super exciting. Yay! Yay! These kids. And we're, like, starting to get answers, too, about, like, other alien races and history and... Um, a lot of the history is is fleshed out when you get to like the chronicles and things like those are where it's like okay this isn't about the animorphs we're just going to explain like the rest of the the world to you yeah but um we're starting to get some answers already which is exciting i like it i like it too this is a really good book and it wasn't super depressing <laughs> yeah again heavy <sighs> stuff but overall like, yeah, heavy stuff, but it's starting to feel less hopeless. And I really thought that the whole, like, do I have to kill my brother? I thought that was going to manifest very differently. Um, so I'm glad that there, there's still a little bit of hope for Tom, I hope. Alex is like, I'm not going to say anything! I Dead silence for me. <laughs> oh, dead no, silence for Tom. me. Oh, no. I just, I have a lot of notes about this from this book but um i'm not gonna read them to you and talk to you about them until book 54 unfortunately oh, for fuck's sake. i know and we're in book six all right i know i know but once we get there i swear to god it'll be worth it cool <laughs> i was taking notes and i'm like ah shit this is a long way off <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right two hour time limit it's it's happening all right well we'll wrap up since our two hour time limit's up but i guess we should tell people where to find us before we we bail on them yeah okay uh where can't you find us we are on twitter we are on facebook we are on where else are we instagram instagrams we are have a website oh we should probably give you URLs email. for all this stuff. Probably. That's probably the best course of action. <laughs> all right. Our website is anamorphsanonymous.com. And our Gmail is anonymousanamorphs at gmail.com. And our Twitter is anamorphsanon, because I couldn't fit the full name on there. <laughs> and our Instagram is anamorphsanonymous. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty cohesive, I think. <laughs> we, we did our best. We did our best. And then our Facebook, too, is uh, facebook.com slash Anonymous. So if you want to follow us on there, we have all of these URLs, links to all of our social media, and we post our links to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and somewhere else. Pocket Cast. <laughs> Pocket Cast, thank you. We post that um, every time we post a podcast. Find us. Follow us there. Find us, except, you know, we're still not going to tell you where we live or who we are or yes. our real names. <laughs> Any of that nonsense. Not Any important. Any of that. 
Exactly. All you need to know is that we don't believe in flying saucers. We or do, do not we? believe in flying <gasps> It's a mystery. It's Tune in mystery. next time yeah. to find out. <laughs> next book is a Rachel book. Yes, come join us for our next Rachel book. Cool. All right. All right. Let's bail. All right, see y'all. Thanks see for listening. Ya. Thank you. Bye. Bye.